25. Genesis 47, verses 13 through 25, and just Joseph and toil. It says, Now there was no food in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and all the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they brought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, Give your livestock, and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock. If your money is gone, so they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. And he supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when the year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh. And give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priest had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own as seed for the field and as food for yourselves and your household and as food for your little ones. And they said, You have saved our lives. May it please the Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statue concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this, this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Lord, just thanks for the chance to gather together at the beginning of the week. Lord, thanks for work. Thanks for the fact that we can work and that we can rest. And Lord, I pray the Holy Spirit right now, you just open our eyes to your word. You would encourage us with your word. You remove every distraction. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. They, they call themselves the Wasted Generation. Two weeks ago, the Chicago Tribune put an article out about the Gaza Strip and all the young people who are in their 20s who are living there through, through years of war and all the situation that they've gone through and most of them are unemployed, and they call themselves the wasted generations. They, they said that they are bored out of their minds, and many of them are turning to drugs and hard drugs just to survive and deal with the situation. 
And somebody asked one of them, what do you do for a living? And he said, we, we stare into space is our answer. That's what we do. He said, the, un- the unemployment rate for Gaza's young adults is over 60% right now. And it says, the article went on to say that think tank scholars warned that Egypt's youth's unemployment rate of 30% is a ticking time bomb. When all these 20-year-olds get together and they're walking around and talking, this is what they joke about. One said, young, young people in Gaza have a joke to say the same, to say the same thing that they say that they're un, that they say to their unemployed friends. They say that they are driving their mattresses, meaning they spend their daylight hours sprawled in their beds. There's no work. There's no opportunity. There's no unemployment. They're bored and they're miserable. And they call themselves the wasted generation. Why is that? It's because God designed in us, very deeply in our DNA as human beings, the need to work. And he planted it into humanity. So no matter where you go, you could talk to millions of young people in America who would say the same thing. Looking for work, highly educated, they're having difficulties finding work, and they would say the same thing all across the continent, all around the world. It's in all of humanity to want to work. And when they don't work, there's something deeply wrong and broken about that, and they feel it and they know it. Genesis chapter 1, this whole book where this story of Genesis with Joseph ends and where God begins everything, Genesis chapter 1, it begins, it says this, it says that God is, and what it says about God right after that is that God is a worker. He created everything. He made everything. He's a very skilled worker, the Bible talks about God. He made an unbelievably complex world of creation, and many creations, and God is still working. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, the work that God is doing right now is He's holding all things together. The moment that God was to stop working and holding all things together, everything would fall apart, it says in Colossians chapter 1. So God is still working, holding the whole world together. In Psalms 104, there's a whole description of all the things that God is doing as he works and how he made this wonderfully complex creation and creations. And God created this people and created people as workers because he made us in the image of God. And on this Labor Day, we need to remember this. And we're going to look at Joseph being in work. God works. And the Bible says work is good and it's right. Before the fall, in Genesis chapter 2, God made the Garden of Eden. He put and created man in it. And it says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, that he, the Lord took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And that was all before fall, before the curse, when things were perfect. God gave man work. Work is good and it's right. And there's great dignity in work. But the reason we need Labor Day is because that's not how it feels anymore. Genesis 3 says that work has been corrupted. And so you need a day off from your job. Because of the corruption and the fall when Eve worked wrongly 
and sin came into the world. Work before was perfect and good and right. And then they got very corrupted, which is why now, for many people, work is, and for all of us at times, work is toil, isn't it? It, it drains us. And it drains us down. And work also then causes tension. Which is why many people have jobs that just they feel futile in. They're just doing the same things over. It just feels futile, like nothing's ever getting done. Ecclesiastes talks about that. That's because work's been corrupted. There's a sense of futility to work at times. And that's why there's trouble. Because bosses make bad decisions. Companies create bad plans. They have bad ideas. They implement bad strategies. There's bad bosses. And there's difficult work employees. All because of the curse. It's not work's fault. It's because work and all of creation has been put under the curse. But God does something very interesting with Genesis. When God wrote, had Moses write Genesis, he started out saying, this is who God is. And God's a worker. God created man in his image to be workers. Sin corrupted everything. There's trouble. But then God used work as he closed out the book of Genesis to rescue and to restore. And he uses a guy named Joseph. Really, most of the story of Joseph is just about a guy at work, when you think about it. That's really his whole life. It's just a story about a guy at work and how God used his work to deliver a people and move the plan of God. And how that work was used by God has great impact for us as workers today because we as workers were created in the image of of God. And that affects our immersion into our work, our influence at our work, and our identity to our work. And how you understand those things, and how you relate those things as the people of God, as followers of Jesus Christ, changes everything. The Bible says all work matters to God because all life is spiritual. There is no separation between secular work and sacred work. I say this all the time. But God has placed me in this role in a religious kind of work. But it's no different than a, any other kind of work. It's just a role that God has placed me in. There is no difference between secular work. There's no separation. There's no such thing as secular work and spiritual work or sacred work. It's According to God, it's all work. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. There is no separation. All work matters to God and not just the work that you get paid to do. All work matters to God. And Genesis and Joseph here teaches us some things about how these things relate to us and how they can help us in our work that we do. Genesis chapter 1, Joseph, or Genesis 41, Joseph's taken from his family as a shepherd. He's thrown into Potiphar's house, becomes a great manager. He gets lied about, he gets tossed into the prison, he becomes the manager of the prison. He does so well as the manager, God helps him, gives him the ability to interpret these dreams. All of a sudden, Pharaoh has a dream. Joseph tells some of Pharaoh's workers about 
their dreams. One of Pharaoh's workers remembers, hey, there's a guy working in the prison who told me my dreams. Maybe he can help you out too. And he does. And Genesis 41 is all about Joseph going to Pharaoh and saying, hey, God's going to do this. God gave me the ability to tell you your dream. And he tells them what's going to happen. And in verse 40, 37 of 41, Joseph, the Pharaoh says this. It says, the proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as your command. Pharaoh meets Joseph and says, I'm going to give you a job. You're going to have a work to do. I'm hiring you. And as Joseph got hired, here's the very interesting thing about what happened with Joseph. Everywhere else in the Bible after this, Egypt is always looked at as a negative thing. The Bible is always talking about Egypt as a negative thing. Get away from Egypt. Stay away from Egypt. But when it comes to the story of Joseph, Joseph is immersed completely into Egypt. And it's good that he's immersed completely into Egypt. He gets married to an Egyptian woman. He gets Egyptian clothes. He learns the Egyptian language. He gets an Egyptian job. He is in. He's absolutely connected to this. He's immersed in it. Which means for us that your immersion into your work for the glory of God is right and good. God designed us to work. And so it is good for Christians to see themselves in a good way immersed in their work for the glory of God, to be very connected to it, be very committed to it. This was not Joseph's plan for his life, but he was absolutely connected, committed. He gets married. He's totally immersed into the Egyptian lifestyle, into the Egyptian work. And it's good, God says. And it's right that he should be that way. And it's the same for us. You have a job. You have a job because God gave you that job. It's a work that God's called you to do. And he, he wants you to be immersed into it for his glory, for a good, for, which is right and good. Which means if you work at a factory, you arrange your lifestyle to live that way. Whatever job we have, we're, we're called to immerse ourselves into it. Not be so distracted by those things. We all have to arrange our lives around our work. The way the world is right now. And sometimes people fight against that. Say, I don't, I don't like that. I don't want to do this. This is, uh, this is difficult. It's cramping my style. Actually, God would say he's called you to that. The immersion style that he's asking you to live, it's good for you and it's right to see yourself connected and committed. And Joseph absolutely was, but why was he that way? Why did that happen for Joseph? He was immersed into his work in such a way that Pharaoh saw how good he was and all the people saw how good he was. In Genesis 47, it's all about his work and what he did. Joseph rescued the world from death with the famine. Because he was absolutely immersed into his work, committed to it. But Joseph was absolutely skilled at it. He was extremely competent. Some of the most spiritual things that you can do, and that we can do as workers, is to become competent at our jobs. Be competent at it. If you want to know how you can work distinctly as a Christian, 
It's by being competent in your work. If you're competent in your work and always trying to improve and get better at your job, you can absolutely rest assured that you are distinctly working as a Christian and as God would call you. So if you work at a fast food place, being competent at your job means you get the order right and you get it out. If, as Tim Keller says, if you're a pilot of an airplane, the Christian pilot's job, the way he most glorifies God, is he lands the plane. If you're a custodian, you clean the room. If you're a construction worker, you build a solid house. If you're a mechanic, you fix the car. If you're an engineer, you design it correctly. You're competent at what you do. That's what Joseph was. He was absolutely competent. So many people, and Christians particularly, they wonder, I wonder what God wants for me. And I'm really, am I doing the will of God for my life? Am I really doing the will of God for my life? Sometimes we just need, yes, you are. If you're working at the job that God gave you and you're trying to become competent at it, you can go home and just rest and say, this is good. This is good. I'm, I'm, I'm competent at it. When you grow to be competent, there's a great line in the movie Chariots of Fire with Eric Little, talk about the life of Eric Little. And he, he says, when I run, I feel the pleasure of God. And I think Christian workers, you need to know that if you're doing your job in a competent way, you're immersed in it, you're committed to it, you're, you're competent at it, and you feel like it has nothing to do with Christianity, nothing to do with spirituality, it's not true. If you're doing it that way, you can go home and say, ah, I worked eight hours and I feel the pleasure of God. I worked 12 hours, and I can feel the pleasure of God. That's what he's calling us to do. What does competence look like in those areas? We have a lot of Christian teachers in our church. What does it mean to be a competent teacher? If we believe that people are made in the image of God, competence across the board means different things. If you're a pilot to be competent, you land the plane. If you're a teacher dealing with people's lives, being competent at your job has got to do more, mean more than just getting through the eight hours. It's about figuring out how to be competent in such a way that you're going to help people who are created in the image of God flourish as human beings. So you have to ask yourselves, what does it look like for me to be a competent individual at my vocation? This is what Joseph was. He was connected, he was committed, he was competent. And don't take it for granted at all. The beauty of the church, where God calls all these people from all these different walks of life who do different jobs for his glory, 60 hours a week or more, and then he calls them together on Sundays and says, now encourage each other. Encourage each other out there in your work. Because Joseph was all these things. He was immersed in his work for the glory of God, but Joseph was not consumed with Egypt. You can be immersed, competent, committed, connected, and not consumed. And that's the tension that we have to deal with. But your immersion at your work for the glory of God, you need to know, is right and good. And God called you to live the lifestyle of whatever that job demands. And He wants you to live it in joy and peace and know that He is thrilled 
and rejoicing over you when you're doing your job competently and helping other people flourish in humanity. Your influence at your work is also right. Your work, your influence at your work for the glory of God is also very right and good. Genesis 47 is a very odd passage. When you read Genesis 47 that I just read, verses 13 through 26, it's nothing about God. It's nothing really about anything. Really what it sounds like is that Joseph took the people of Egypt and put them into slavery. That's what it sounds like. It's almost like Joseph's creating a socialistic society, and that's what he did in many ways. But you can't read that passage the same way we we read this passage. We can't read it through modern eyes. You have to think back to the ancient ways and how things were done. The the idea back then was that Pharaoh was in control of everything anyway. They they thought of him as a god. But Joseph was in a very unique situation. Uh, The world had never seen a famine like this before. And so in this very unique situation, Joseph was called to deal with this, and he had unbelievable influence. And this passage of 13 through 47 doesn't make Joseph like we read it and think, well, the guy sounds like a dictator. He sounds like some kind of socialist. That's not how it's being portrayed and written in the passage. The people thank him for what he does. He has unbelievable influence in how he does this. A different skilled worker could have taken these people through what they went through and came out with a horrific experience. But Joseph, with his influence and his fear of God, took these people through an unbelievable, catastrophic experience, and they thanked him at the end. That's powerful influence. That's being a thermostat, and not just a thermometer, as Tim said. There's... What it really showed is Joseph's wisdom, his compassion, his character. That's how the people responded to him. He did the right thing in a tough situation. And your influence at work for the glory of God is right and good. And your character does matter as you work and how people think and how you deal. God wants you to be competent first. And that's for his glory. And then as doors open, of opportunity open for you to share the gospel and demonstrate that, then you take advantage of this. But the goal of work isn't to evangelize everybody. The goal of work is to be successful and competent and help that business succeed. That's the Christian way to work. But in the process of that, you can have great influence just like Joseph did. The Bible shows that to us. And listen, Christians, we may have currently lost... The culture war. But we are called and can win the character walk. And you can have an unbelievable influence. The world has, most part, many people have just not seen Christians. They haven't really experienced Christians. They don't know how Christians really think. And so they get an idea of what a Christian thinks. And then they assume that's the way they think. And that's how, really, we've lost many of our cultural wars. People haven't seen real Christians. But if you as an individual Christian will go to work and influence people for the glory of God, which is right and good by your character, they're going to say, wait a second. These people don't hate everybody. These people aren't against everything. This guy's totally different. He works completely different. His attitude's completely different. He cares for me. He wants me to do better than him. He's always trying to help me. That, That changes everything. Your influence can be unbelievably Amazing. Even when you don't think anybody's noticing it. Just this week, 
Someone sent me a text of a they were they they were working with an individual for a couple of years. They they were praying about it, trying to see how they could help this guy. And really, they felt like nothing was taking place. They they were praying for him. They just felt like nothing was happening in this guy's life. And like, really, is, is prayer even is it really doing anything? This guy left where this guy was working with him, moved to California. He hadn't heard from him in a while, but he got this text on Monday, and he sent it to me just because he was encouraged by it. And I said, that's going to fit great for Sunday. Can I, can I use it? Here, here's what the text that he got, somebody from our church, from a guy that he worked with for a while. He's, the text said, hey, bro, just wanted to reach out to you and thank you. When we first met, I was struggling with my faith. I strayed from the flock, began questioning my faith. Through your words and example, I began to reconnect with our Heavenly Father. I know you may be thinking right now or want to tell me you're not the greatest example or whatever, but don't even go there, man. You've been a great example to me, and I'm grateful for it. And for you in general, I appreciate your prayers for me over the years and your advice. Again, I just wanted to take this time to personally tell you I was doing my morning prayer and God spoke to me and I was inspired to reach out to you. So again, thank you. That's influence. That's going to work and having such a character that you're doing your work with great competence and people are noticing it. And you may be praying, you may be looking for open doors and nothing may seem like happening, but you have no idea what God's doing in someone's life. And so our character matters and your influence matters. But the big issue of our culture today, even as Christians, is where are we going to get our identity? Whenever you ask, so what do you do? We always talk about our work. We tell people what we do. Because so much of our culture is about, hey, you find out who you are by what you do. And it's devastating to the world, and it can be devastating to you as a Christian. Because if we, if we have a good day at work, we feel really good about ourselves, don't we? If we have a bad day at work, we feel really bad about ourselves. Or if you lose your job, many people in America today, I don't know who I am. I'm lost. And it's difficult to lose a job. That's part of the curse and the fall. But your identity will be found to be good and right if it's located in Jesus Christ and not your work. And that's the only way it's going to be good and right. And it's the only it's the way we have to strive as Christians to find our identity not in ourselves and in our jobs, but in Jesus Christ. This is the only way as workers, to have true peace. This is what Joseph demonstrated. Joseph knew something. He knew that God was always for him and that God would always loved him. He was immersed in a job that, quite frankly, he never asked to be immersed in. He was immersed into a culture that he never wanted to have to arrange his life around, but he did for the glory of God. And by doing that, he had such influence around the world that the world was saved. I mean, he was the second in command in the world. And that could have gone through his head. He could have said, I'm going to make bank. I got money now. 
Things are good. This is what I longed for. Now I'm satisfied. I got everything I wanted. I got ripped off for the first 17 years of my life, put in a prison. My brothers tried to stick it to me. But now I've got power, money, prestige. And he could have got consumed by that. But he didn't do it. He didn't find his identity in pulling himself up from his bootstraps. He didn't find his identity in having the biggest house in Egypt. He didn't find his identity in having the most power over everybody else. He found his identity in God. And the way we know that is that Joseph was who he was, lived the life that he lived. And at the end of his life, unbelievably successful, he says, I don't want to die in Egypt and be buried here. So he told his family, God promised that we would have a new land and a new place. So when I die, carry my mummified body out of here. Take me out of Egypt. I want to be where God is. I want to be with the people of God. And he knew that, and he was able to do that because he knew the love of God. He knew how much God loved him. And that's where he found his identity. He found his identity in knowing the love of God. And Joseph was a great deliverer, wasn't he? He saved the whole world in the midst of great devastation. But the way that Joseph, this great deliverer, saved the world from great devastation was making the people pay for it. And it was right and good. They had to give their lands, they had to give all their money, and they had to give themselves. And the people helped pay for their rescue. And Joseph managed it. And he was a great deliverer, a great leader. But there is for us a greater leader and a greater deliverer who came to a world filled with devastation. And instead of making them pay for it, Jesus came and he said, I'll pay for it for you. I'll give my life for you. I'll take all the pain. I'll go to the cross all the way for you. My life for your life. And even Jesus, in his work, struggled. John 12 says, Jesus prayed, Father, save me from this work. But for this purpose... Jesus said, for this work on the cross, I have come for this hour. And so he says, said, Father, glorify your name. Jesus' labor was a labor of glory and not a labor of gain. If you spend your life working just for gain, it will be for nothing. But if you spend your life as a worker, wherever God has called you for glory, You can rejoice and know that God loves me. You can rest in that. You can look for open opportunities. You can let your character be seen. And you can just enjoy the life of the toil that God has given you because of Jesus. So trust Christ with your work and follow Christ with your work. And your labor will result in the glory of God and not just temporary gain. We have a worker in Jesus who rescued us from that. And he just calls us on this Labor Day to rest in him and rest in that and labor for glory 
and not just for gain. Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that He should give His only Son, and make a wretch His treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns His face away. As wounds which mar the chosen one Bring many sons to glory Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice Call out among the scoffers It was my sin that held him there Until it was accomplished His dying breath has brought me to life. 